0: This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
1: was stolen. We went from an intelligent friend to a dumb Dixiecrat, A rich Republican who has never held a job in his life is against affirmative action, against education, I guess he is, <laughs> against health care, against benefits for his own military and gives tax breaks to the wealthiest contributors to his campaign. Government, when it came to treating the citizens of African descent fairly, America failed. She put drugs, build bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America? No, 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 not God bless America. God damn America for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating our citizens as less than humans. God damn America as long as she, she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. The United States government has failed the vast majority of her citizens of African descent. America's chickens are coming home.
0: Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Transforming truth to power one broadcast at a time.
2: Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our common ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas.
3: I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you.
0: Soon.
2: Talk, talk, that matter, matter.
0: And now, yeah. Janice Graham,
3: yeah, 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 we want freedom, and we want it now, and all this nonsense <sighs> uh, you know sometimes, and i I just wanna shout been a long, long journey. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Common Ground Wednesday night, open mic night. It's M. Kutano. Thank you for being with us. We are so glad to be here tonight. It's Thursday, but we're having a Wednesday night open mic because that's how we roll. Last night, now you all know, I'm still getting used to living <laughs> in Declantis land down here in Florida. I had retirement fantasies of getting up and going to the beach every morning and taking long walks in the tropical breeze and uh, sitting on my patio and doing my birch bourbon or uh, a little bit of scotch with a splash Uh, Every evening and grilling every meal. Well, it really hasn't worked out that way. (laughs) It's so friggin' hot here. But the heat has been building in the atmosphere over this region. And last night, I kid you not, I just knew that it was going to blow out the power, blow out the Internet, blow out everything, because the lightning and thundering was unbelievable. Now, all of those know that this is our 10th year on the Internet, and I have never canceled a broadcast. But last night, I was so sure that... Something was going to happen, and I was going to be sleeping in the shelter or something or in the car or whatever because there was lightning and thunder. And I have lived, I have been on a broadcast in the middle of a number of Northeasters. Do you know what a Northeaster is? A Northeaster is when snow is flying so thick that you can't see in front of you. In a Northeaster, nobody tries to do it. You end up with uh, maybe two feet of snow, or three feet of snow. I, I mean, I was in a Northeaster where we ended up with 11 feet of snow. But anyway, you didn't lose your internet. You didn't lose your power. Maybe it flickered for a minute, a second, but you didn't lose anything. But I was so sure that I was not going to be able to to hold to host an entire broadcast last night that we moved Wednesday to Thursday. So, Gio, Moses, Greta, y'all have to pretend is is, is Wednesday night because this is Wednesday night over Mike night. And we will continue on our regular schedule next week, hopefully. But I I just want to say this. I'm a gardener, which means I love rain. One of my fantasies, and, you know, I'll be right up front with you. I love walking in the rain. I'm talking about soaking rains. But you can't do that here because... You will get hit by lightning so fast uh, that you won't ever, ever be able to calculate how safe it is. So every now and then, I might go out to the mailbox, because, you know, here in Florida, the the mail person doesn't deliver mail onto your house. It's like a, a... uh, maybe uh, a half an acre away from your door, <laughs> and and I will go out and walk through the rain. But it's not enough. I mean, I don't want to alarm my neighbors by on the days that there is no lightning and thundering. I mean, I'm I'm talking about boom thundering, where every door alarm went off in this house. Like six times yesterday, every time the booms of thunder and the the clap of lightning, the alarm system would ring, you know, telling you there was a threat to the entrance. And I've got lots of entrances. So I decided... Nah, son, we're not going to get through Wednesday night open mic on this Wednesday night, so I better put it aside. And I hope all of you are catching up uh, uh, today, uh, understanding that Wednesday was moved to Thursday. Uh, for all of you who, while I still have you, You know that you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and you can actually get a seat because you know how people don't, you, you send email to people and they call you and say, well, what's going on? And you say, I sent you an email, didn't you read it? And they say, Oh, when did you send the email? I sent the email like an hour before you called me. That's when I sent the email. So people have a tendency not to read. The other thing I wanna to do tonight is my friend James Polito is retiring from Department of Justice as of Friday and a big shout out to him. Ending 23 years of service in the Civil Rights Division. So, Jim, here's to you. We had some good times, and we did some good work, and you should be proud. And I I hope that your children and your family and friends uh, back in Boston will have a wonderful, wonderful celebration. I'm gonna be online. I'm a, I'm gonna be right there with all my fireworks and, and thank you for your camaraderie. Thank you for your partnerships on a lot of really hard stuff and always having my back. Um, and I'm wishing you the best of enough in your retirement. You ain't going to love it. I'm telling you right now, you ain't going to love it. You're going to be wanting to go back to work. Um, but uh, enjoy that that first year that we talked about last week, that first year. Just take one year. You have earned it. Okay, so here at Our Common Ground tonight, um, there are a lot of things going on. So we're going to talk about the silly stuff before... Uh, we get started because one of the things that we need to talk about and get serious about is the assessment of the federal threat to public schools in educational funding by way of educational funding and the reopening of schools and making that decision about if you're a teacher, if you are school personnel, if you're a bus driver, if you are a cafeteria worker, if you are an administrator, uh, how do you assess whether you support going back or what are the pitfalls and how do we need to fix it? The other is I had a wonderful, wonderful um, talk on a Facebook uh, group, was a Facebook group on a Monday night, and I got real passionate and really kind of teary about the idea that um, uh, Dr. C.T. Vivian, uh, who I knew and is, is very close to my heart, rest in peace for him, um, he was one of the smartest civil rights I mean, if you, if you take C.T. Vivian, who was a stat, uh, strategist, strategist, and you take um, uh, who we knew at in, in the beginning of the, the civil rights movement as Car- uh, Stokely Carmichael, later known as Kwame Ture, if you take those two gentlemen and, and you kind of like rub them together and put them in the same room, you've got absolute Brilliance and genius about organizing, about activism, about policy and legislation, about uh, the manipulation of the political infrastructure to work for you. So, um, this week uh, we are saying farewell and farewell rituals to my friend, my mentor. Um, late in the civil rights um, movement, uh, Dr. C.T., Dr. Reverend C.T. Vivian. And he was a very fiery preacher, very fiery preacher. And next week, um, um, Congressman John Robert Lewis will be um, lying in state in the Capitol Rotunda I don't know how many of you have ever been in the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, The spirit of American history and grandeur is what you find in the Rotunda. Um, One day I was in the Rotunda with friends, and this was a long time ago when I was kind of young and silly, and we decided to tap dance. In the rotunda Because you can hear your feet Uh, So we were doing this little tap dance thing In the rotunda And it's a good memory It's a a good memory People walking by looking like What the hell But anyway um, So uh, we will be closing The chapter of two gentlemen Who lent their lives Dedicated their lives Their whole whole lives Um, And uh, it really makes you think doing it, since their um deaths uh a week ago tomorrow, I have been doing a lot of thinking about what I've been able to do with my life. And and in this in this um talk I did on this Facebook thing, one of the things that I said to them is that when I look at it, you know, the, in my alumni uh, bulletin from MIT, um, um, Sloan School of Management, uh, it indicated that the average salary of, the, of a Sloan graduate in 2019 was $637,000 a year. And I went, wow, even being black and female, I could have done half of that, (laughs) at least half. I mean, you know, come on. But to those to whom much is given, much is required. And uh, I have had a very blessed life. And that's not that does not mean Alpha, I know you're out there listening, that does not mean that there were times where um I wasn't broken broken. <laughs> oh yeah. But it means still that in the in the when you look at the summation and the difference um, you you have to begin to count your blessings. And, and I really had a very good, uh, it was a very reflective talk because these ladies just asked me to talk about voting. Didn't they ask me to talk about something else? Didn't they ask me to talk about something else? and And they let me talk. It wasn't like they were interviewing me. So... Um, I enjoyed that, and uh, it was a local thing, and I think that at the local level there are a lot of people who are working class who really can't get a grasp on all the stuff that's going on. So I'm going to talk about a couple of things that... um, a review of some things that we talked about over the last month or so. And then uh, I'm going to talk about the reopening issue and protecting the agency. That is something that Dr. Vivian always talked about, the agency. The agency is your vote, your willingness and your ability to claim the dignity of a people who have survived and thrived and contributed despite everything. Okay, and uh, we can talk about the goon squad, Trump's goon squad, paramilitary goon squad, heading to Chicago and how Mayor Lightfoot is handling it Uh, and the mayor, Mayor Bowser of Atlanta, Uh, And her suit, she's having to sue the governor of Florida, I mean governor of Georgia, Governor Kemp, in order to protect the citizens of Atlanta. That is where we are. So, but before we get into uh, all of that, I don't know if you have heard, but you know they grabbed up Michael Cohen, President uh, Trump's personal um, personal lawyer, attorney, who uh, they they grabbed him up in the federal building in New York and took him back to prison because he was talking about writing a book and um, they didn't like it, so they conjured up a scheme to remand him back to prison because he refused and he really didn't outright refuse. He was in the middle of negotiating an agreement around the terms of his um, release to be in custody at home because of COVID-19, something for which I didn't agree with. I, I My position was if prisoners in all of the prisons who were convicted of nonviolent crime and now over the age of 65 weren't released, why should Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort be released? I mean, what is so special about them? But you know what that deal was. And I think that Michael Cohen was released by mistake. (laughs) That's what I think. And you can call me at 347-838-9852 and ring in on this. But um, So they snatched him up and put him back in prison. And he filed an appeal and it went to a federal judge. And the federal judge today said, oh, hell no. You are not going to do this. This is not what we do in America. You're trying to stop him from talking negatively about the president and writing a book, which is his First Amendment right. And I'm telling you right now, the order is by 2 o'clock tomorrow. He's coming out of the prison, and he's back at home in custody in his house. I mean, that was the coolest thing. <laughs> she, was, she, she This judge wasn't a she, it was a he. This judge said straight out, this is retaliation, and I'm not having it. So that's what's happening with Michael Cohen. The other little bit of news I want to go back and revisit. Um, Do you remember... Uh, the St. Louis couple, Mark and Patricia McClowski, who came out into their yards when they saw Black Lives Matter protesters, guns threatening, I mean, they had big guns. They had like, um, um, I don't know the name of the gun, but it's the guns they use in video. <laughs> video games, I guess, I don't know, but he had a long barrel gun and she had a handgun and they were waving it and threatening the protesters. Well, and and then your president had the nerve to say that people like that have the right and this is what Black Lives Matter has done to America, and those people have to figure out how to protect themselves. Well, the protesters were never on their property. Their property came right up to the sidewalk. The protesters were on the sidewalk. So in St. Louis, authorities have executed a search warrant at the St. Louis. First of all, these people got a mansion in the middle of St. Louis. Come on.
2: Uh,
3: um, So this search warrant um, was for Mark and Patricia McCloskey. And they are personal injury lawyers. And they were caught on video brandishing these guns as demonstrators walked past their Renaissance Palazzo-style home in June. So the couple has not been charged, but as the search warrant was being executed, it is clear indication of what the circuit attorney's intentions are. Kimberly Gardner, who is the top prosecutor in St. Louis, issued a statement after the June 28th incident, and she said she was alarmed by what happened. And that any attempt to chill the right to peacefully protest through intimidation or threat of deadly force would not be tolerated. So that is the catch up on what's going on. I've been calling them Mark and Ken and Karen McClouse. Well, I, I just have to say this. I do want to take, I do want to, I hope you all don't mind, but I am going to take the, I'm going to take the credit for outing them. Geo <laughs> Moses says geriatric Bonnie and Clyde, wow, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to take the credit for for outing them on Twitter. Because that was the first thing I said. Who are these people? My first question was, Who the hell are these people with these guns and living in a mansion in the middle of the st in, in the in a in a neighborhood in St. Louis? Okay. So, uh, geriatric Bonnie and Clyde Geomoses, they search their home. And I think what they were searching for was more guns and no license. They were searching for a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe they'll find a Nazi flag or a Confederate flag up in there somewhere. For those of you who are just joining us, this is Our Common Ground. M. Kutano, Wednesday night, open mic night on Thursday night, and it's okay uh, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. If you'd like to weigh in on any of these topics, and you know, I'm I'm trying not to. I, the other thing is, I'm I'm trying not to be petty. I I never like to be petty. But sometimes, you know, you all like to do political gossiping, which is not something that I like to do, but I entertain it. Um, and so if you want to talk about the new, the readout show, because I, I think I told you I knew Joy Reid um, before when she was at the Miami Herald. And she was a young reporter, very young reporter. I was on the committee to welcome Nelson Mandela after his release from the Miami committee, after his release from um, from prison, Robbins Island. And Joy interviewed me as a young cub reporter. Um. I was really proud of that moment. And I know I'm rambling. I'm not really rambling. I'm just following up on my own statements. You're going to give me a pass on that. Uh, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe this is my cognitive, how I do cognitive.
4: <laughs>
3: but um, um, I went to one of the high schools, I lived in Palm Beach County at the time, and I was broadcasting out of Palm Beach County. And I went to one of the high school music directors and said, Hey, you have a choir of young people. I would like for you to train them in how to sing the, the South African National Anthem in hoza, which is the language of Nelson, the, the childhood language of Nelson Mandela. And he did that. And I took them all over everywhere. That quiet was the, oh, I can't think, is Riviera Beach, one of the Riviera Beach high schools. And this was a long time ago, you know. And maybe this is my how-to cognitive um, night. But anyway, it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing um, and winnie Mandela uh and I were talking <laughs> Winnie Mandela was on our common ground three days before Nelson Mandela was freed from robbins Island um because I had known her since nineteen uh seventy and and from time to time had stayed in touch with her and i was a young person to her and um but anyway she wept to hear these young black americans singing in her childhood language the south african um national anthem and one night i will you know this is what this wednesday night thing is we can just you know relax and talk a lot about a lot of stuff but um one night i'd really like to talk about my experience uh in south africa and rwanda and tanzania and somalia and um to talk about that but if you do want to hear me talk about my experiences on the motherland uh, on the continent uh, we did a couple of shows with the historian Runoko Rashidi and they are in our, our archives and I'll be sure to post it on, on my Facebook page and in Twitter thank you so much for being with us tonight um, you know, I don't see Alpha and I don't know why cuz is um always um making making noise in the chat room and when he's not making noise and trying to irritate everybody. It worries me he's not in the chat room. So, we're going to get started uh but I do want to bring you up to date on where we are today in the United States of America uh, regarding how many coronavirus cases have been reported in the United States. Um, Right now, the United States' ability to to detect COVID-19 is crucial. And uh, the numbers that I'm seeing right now is there have been 48 million tests. Of those, 4,017,735 have been positive. Of those positive cases, 136,477 Americans have died that is the most up to date as of 9:10 p.m. eastern daylight time today and we still do not have we do not have a national response there is no national plan there never was a national plan there was a whistleblower at the CDC today who filed for whistleblower status, and it is my understanding that um, that person wants to tell the story about how the White House stopped the CDC from the distribution. Of in uh, from securing uh, appropriate numbers of N95 masks in February and March. This guy is really—I mean, I know that um, my how-to-cognitive moments come and go. <laughs> as a, and, and, you know, don't never have no adult children. Just don't allow your children to become adults. Tell them to don't. No, I know you don't want them to be teenagers forever. Just, just at age 10, tell them to stop because those are the people. But, you know, one of the things I haven't seen in the news as this president goes around bragging about um, a kindergarten test that he had to take or even nursery school because it – had pictures, um, why he took it. And then today when I heard that his former White House physician, you know that guy that said that Donald Trump weighed 137 pounds, you remember that guy? Well, he's running for the Congress. And he is the one who either assess the test results or he administered the test. And you know what I said, and I never say my God when I say God, I'm talking G A W D. G A W D, my God. What have we here? I don't know about you, but every morning I wake up and I'm and I'm thinking I'm you know I'm thinking, like, what kind of alternative America that I have to live with? I already had to deal with my dual dual citizenship, my dual consciousness, my dual language, my dual thinking, my black side and their side kind of thinking. And here we are. We also have to travel to bizarro land, and then when we get there, we find out it's all corrupt and crusted criminality. I just don't know. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the new coronavirus relief bill, which is likely coming in August. In August, when is what I want to know? But this is what Ma- uh, Moscow, Mitch, and the White House traders have been banking on—that they'd run out the clock. See, they—they they have already given given the money away. All the money's been given away. They've driven up the national debt with. Um, tax relief for the 1% and they don't want to go into November without being able to blame it on the pandemic. But they also don't want to release any more money because they know with the with the debacle of this last stimulus bill where working people, small businesses never got much of anything. If they got anything at all, they know that they cannot repeat that. So they know. But, but I, I don't understand why people are just simply, and I think they are, but they're not acting on it. Remember the day after Trump's inauguration and the, and the pussy people? The pink pussy people were out by the millions. Do you remember that? Where, where did those people go? Because the way in which they administered, they criminally distributed money to businesses that should not have gotten any of that money. The way in which they posed and massaged the the legislation after it got to the Senate was criminal, as far as I'm concerned. Where where to put the people on that? Because in other countries, let's let's just take one country, Uh, in Australia. Australia is not the most uh, the the strongest, most brilliant, most resourceful, richest, powerful more more powerful than any other place in the, on the planet. And they gave their citizens for 3 months every citizen, every taxpayer, every taxpayer They said, stay home, don't go to work. You will get unemployment, and you will get $2,000 a month until we can get through this pandemic. That's what Australia did. And a lot of companies did it, including European countries, including uh, Greece and Italy. And Canada, don't forget, Canada gave every citizen $2,000 a month until October for six months to get through the pandemic. Our number is 347-838-9852. And I'm just wondering, why not us? Why not us? Because guess what? People got very angry with me. Not very angry. You know, people get pissed off. Pissed off is not the same. It's very angry, I don't think. Um, I've always felt it wasn't the same. But I have always said that America is a country that relies on having... Use furniture and trash The black people was the trash And the poor white people and working people Were the furniture, used furniture And what is that? They are all disposable It doesn't matter It doesn't matter if it gets thrown out Do you all get me on that? Okay, I hope you do. i've got to get through this. Our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. I have a very open board and um, music house lover. I know you're out there and you wait till ten minutes until we're ready to close to call in here, but I got news for you tonight because one of the things that I promised during our tribute to Um, Dr. Reverend Vivian and Congressman John Robert Lewis was that I was going to do the absolute must on helping people understand how important the Civil Rights Movement was. It is the only social justice It is the only social justice movement that has had an outcome that was supposed to service black people. So, tonight is going to be our three nights of having available what I call... Listen, learn, and liberate lessons about what the civil rights movement. You see, I grew up in Jim Crow in the South. That makes me special among black people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes me very special because somebody told me once Ruby Sales. She said, because I'm a southern black woman who grew up in in the South, I didn't spend my childhood worrying about what white folks said to me because I didn't hear it and I didn't see it. I had black teachers who loved me, who thought I talked too much, but who thought I was smart. Well, even if I wasn't smart, they said I was smart, so I decided to be smart. So... I mean, in my, black, in my black school, in the eighth grade, at graduation, I was given an award for reading more books than anybody in the whole school, including the people in, that was graduating. That's how black schools rolled. You did the work. You got the reward. Nobody tried to take it from you. And I had one teacher to say to me, you should have re- read two more. Okay, so I want to do this. This listen. We used to have a, a, you know, you can't get. Sometimes it's hard to organize black folks because everybody wants to be the star. I have a channel called Truth Works Net, uh, Network, and we used to have a show called learning power somebody tell me what it was called but anyway the 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 punchline was listen learn liberate and it was nothing but black history every week nothing but black history you didn't call in you didn't do anything you just learned some black history and i think we're going to go back to that um but we'll talk about that some more Uh, So the coronavirus stimulus checks are coming in August. But people who are already underwater, black people who were already underwater before the, the pandemic, this economic crisis has buried some people. You watch by December what the foreclosure numbers are going to be like and where they are because these banks have been targeting black communities in large cities urban cities all over this country just waiting because you know we live near the downtown cuz that's where they put us until they redesign and that's where gentrification is happening and the the foreclosure rate by December are going to be off the charts for black people. That's one thing. And I'm still trying to figure out why the pink pussy people or what maybe it because it was a pink pussy. Why ever uh, anyway, where are they now? Where are they now? Where were they when they should have been marching and shouting at this Senate to get rid of this Nazi racist homophobic misfit out of the out of the White House. We're gonna to go to one 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 uh one one one, I think I know that this is Mike. Mike, are you on the air? You're on the air.
5: Yes. And it's not
3: uh, lightning, can you, you me? won't get, yes, and you won't get hit by lightning, because yes. it's not lightning tonight.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, can How you, are you, my
5: uh, brother? Very good, uh, Janice. Thank you very much for taking my call. You know, you have touched a lot of uh, issues tonight, matter of fact. You know, uh, first of all, you were talking recently just about UBI. That Martin Luther King Doctor uh, Martin Luther King, uh, he said the best way to bring uh, you know people out of poverty is UBI, Universal Basic Income. And yes, it's true. Italy did it. Greece did it. Some Middle Eastern countries uh, already done it, and Asian countries and African countries they have done it too. But The question, when it comes to United States of America, oh, my gosh, Uh, due to Corona, which uh, we have over 78 million people out of jobs right now. I mean, the uh, people who don't get unemployment, uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
5: they are not accountable for it in the system. So system may save 50 million uh, around that, but actually... Is uh, 78 to 80 million for sure, because many people, you know, are either they're not qualified or you know there are so many red tapes uh, as a result of unemployment. And right now it's finished by end of this week. People are not getting 600 dollars. July 31st. Ex- e- <laughs> Yes, extra, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, um, money anymore. And those who file, uh-huh. uh, say next week or or within these couple of days, you know they may get only one, uh, six hundred extra, and waiting for uh, Mich- uh, Michano uh, to go ahead uh, to decrease it to two hundred dollars, or or maybe if there's so, a uh, between two hundred to four hundred, let's. Let's put it this way. But you said foreclosures are coming. We are going to be headed minimum of thirty million foreclosures in United States of America by end of August, if not sooner. What do you think, mm-hmm. uh, Janice? Go ahead.
3: Well, I don't know about the um, the the thirty mil- Did you say thirty million?
5: yeah the 30 million for closures because you know right now people are behind their mortgage uh, in many states and, right. and, uh, and as a as a result yeah, yeah it's about 30
3: million and 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 also manuchin who's the secretary of the treasury is saying that the unemployment plan in this new stimulus bill will be based on a 70% wage replacement and he rules out payroll tax cuts. So uh, I I would say I don't know about thirty million, but that's just. And I want people to to understand that that's just foreclosures. What about evictions? What about the small businesses, the small companies that clean offices and 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 car washes and all all the the night the, that you know it's just unconscionable that these traitors these capitalists who have no interest but their own in mind would allow this to happen in this country but but you know what? As Alpha always says, and I know I'm always I'm, I'm talking up Alpha. I don't know where he is. But I'm 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 thinking that the evil never ends in this country. So where are those people? And they're also talking about July 20, 31st will be the end of um. Um, suspension on rent for people who are under the federally subsidized program Section 8. So all of those people who are unemployed. I mean, keep in mind, we still have the formula that last, last hired, first fired. Black people still live under that principle or those realities. So you're talking about 30 million by the end of August of foreclosures. Then you're talking about the hundreds of thousands of people who will lose their domiciles because of eviction. And I haven't heard anyone including Madam Speaker of the House talk about the extension of the protections for renters and the extension on the mortgage moratorium, I haven't heard anybody talking about that. So here we are, Mike. Absolutely. You are absolutely here, right. Here we are.
5: Uh, mm-hmm. so Indeed, I, you
3: know, I, I mean.
6: Yeah. well.
5: Uh, yeah, you know, so so we are in agreement always that you know, in order to uh, we solve this COVID nineteen, which is really all over the world is
7: uh, uh, you know
5: trying to uh, defeat it, and Israel is total lockdown. Yeah, it's let
3: us talk about let's talk about COVID. 19 pandemic sure. uh, for a minute I mean, Mike, we while I have you first of sure. all we have many, many there has not been a national response there is no containment plan, uh, plan no national containment plan never has been there has been no national tracking program never has been right now we have people who are having to what Choose between buying a mask and and buying another can of be- beans, and certainly not Goya black beans. Uh, I, I'm you know I'm wondering, and a lot of people have asked me this: if the intent is there, is there is there some evidence of intent? It would seem to me as, and I've been trained, I am a trained investigator. It seems to me that there is some clear evidence that this government, this administration, has intentionally left Americans without protection. Do you agree with me? (laughs)
5: Absolutely, Dennis. Why not? I mean, you tell uh, once something comes from your heart, uh, truth, and your listeners can, uh, it's that on the hearts of the, your listeners, indeed. And uh, they don't care about us. Michael Jackson uh, said that uh, before he was uh, deceased. Uh, and, uh, you know, they don't care about us. And and if they were careful for all of us, you know, We would have a much more better roads, better infrastructures, and, you know, we just put 70% of our GPD into the, uh, you know, buying aircrafts, buying ships, and, you know, uh, for military only. 30% Mm -hmm. it goes Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. to the uh, population. I mean, if for
3: yeah, for the and and don't forget about the cost—the cost of the goon squad, the the paramilitary uh, goon squad that Bill Barr and and Donald Trump have cooked up to wreak chaos on the streets of America.
5: Absolutely, like in Portland, for example. I mean, and, they, in Portland, uh, and they and they're keep... on
3: their way to Chicago. And and you know I'm 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 a little bit kind of perturbed with Chicago Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot, um, who has now changed her tune and expresses agreement with uh, with the with a sociopath pathic plan to deploy federal police to Chicago. Uh, after a conversation that she had with the president last night, there the plan is to send 200 officers, homeland security officers, to Chicago uh, where there has been an abnormal high number of shootings. But, but, but here's the point. There have been an abnormal amount of shootings in Chicago for the last three years. But this man, and I want to get your take on it, the very idea seems on the face of it is sheer madness. This is a guy who is putting on a show. He's put on the show in Portland. I mean, they tear-gassed the damn mayor of Portland last night. The mayor, the white mayor. Of Portland, so what does Lightfoot think is in store for Chicago? he is has been cooking up Mike, and I don't know you know I'll hear you out, and you might not agree with me. He's been cooking up a race war, and Portland was just the test. And I want to know, why has this been allowed to happen?
5: You know, once uh, we have
3: to It's it's, let's, Let's get the term out here, and I'm sorry for interrupting your mic. It's called performative authoritarianism. I don't know where I read that, but I read that somewhere this week. I read so much stuff. I should get another 8th grade award. <laughs> um Performative authoritarianism. He's putting on a show as part of a campaign, political campaign. And people are getting hurt.
5: Uh, yes, indeed, Janice. The, the gen- yes, indeed, Janice. Gen- mm-hmm. uh, you know, we have... Uh, Unfortunately, we don't have a good uh, president that cares for the country, only cares for his own money and how much he, uh, Ivanka and, uh, you know, his uh, brother-in-law, <laughs> I mean, his son-in-law uh, make money for him. I know, and I know, that's yeah. About-
2: yeah, you know, and, and you get just
3: done. From one thing, did you read, Mike? <laughs> it sound like I'm having a conversation with my mother. I'm always saying, "Mom, did you read? <laughs> oh, did you read that this member of the National Security Council was questioned by the First Lady?" Melania Trump, the the immigrant. <laughs> I mean, I, I know I shouldn't say that. That's that's not being that's being disparaging of immigrants. But she's an illegal immigrant because she lied on her visa application because she is no Einstein. But anyway, she was questioning him. About the locations of nuclear ballistic arms around the globe. What do you make of that, Mike?
5: I mean, uh, of course, we you know uh, uh, the you know, uh, wife of uh, um, Trump, she is the Trojan horse. It's put by Russia into the White House.
3: So, oh, Mike, you write you uh, on the line that I've been on for a uh, long time. right on the <laughs> line because I have always should, said that she was the handler that was sent. Because people have to realize that this Russian connection for Donald Trump didn't start when he ran for president. It started about 12 years ago when he first said he might run for president.
5: When absolutely. He was absolutely.
3: Melania mu- Yes. 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 Absolutely. Mike, I'm I'm so glad you joined us on Wednesday night because um, we never have this much time to talk. <laughs>
5: sounds good to me. But uh, I want to <laughs> take my time to say for Hi. And uh, of course, in the in the clear, of course, hi, and all the uh, our uh, friends on OCG. Uh, uh, well, thank you very low. much. And
3: we love you. We'll look we'll look for you on Saturday night when we'll be in discussion with Brandon Jones, who is the founder and executive director of the Jegna Institute, and we're going to be talking about mental wellness. And black trauma and black survival and how we um, how we survive. Because there's some magic in that crap. How we survive is some magic going on, some voodoo. I don't know, but we're going to explore it with Brandon Jones on Saturday night. Mike, thanks so much, and have a good week. And You're we'll welcome. talk to you on Saturday. Sure, sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. 312, you're on the air, coming into the second page of Our Common Ground on Thursday night, which is Wednesday night, which is Thursday night. Thank you for your call.
6: Hey, Janet, this is House. How are you tonight? Janice?
3: Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground. I got disconnected. I got thrown out of the room. I've been thrown out of, I don't think I have been thrown out of better places. 312, you're on the air. Thank you for joining us on Our Common Ground.
6: Hey, Janice, this is House. How are you?
3: Hey, House, you heard me call your name earlier, huh?
2: Yeah, as soon as briefly. You, in- as
3: soon as you popped up. I think you're the one that kicked me out of the room.
6: I don't know how I did that, but my apologies. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> i got to
3: blame somebody.
6: <laughs> I know, right? Nah, that might be uh, some of this Trump looter that's going on around here.
3: you got to talk right um, into your microphone because I can't hear you.
6: Is this any better?
3: Yeah, it's much better. Thanks.
6: Okay, um, so yeah, I was just sitting here minding my business, listening to the show, and you hit home, hit home on the uh, Lori Lightfoot and Trump, and sending these uh, federal agents in. So, I think um, we kind of need to remember, and I think we do in the city, that uh, some things happen. Um, prior to COVID, prior to George Floyd, um, you know, such as uh, a few years ago, uh, Rob Emanuel closing all the mental health institutions, um, shutting down 50 schools, um, destabilizing a bunch of neighborhoods in the city. Um, And then Lori Lightfoot comes in. um, She does some carryover work for Rob Emanuel with these what are called TIF funds, Um, And not putting that money back into Black and brown areas But getting more giveaways to billionaires And um, Since she's been in office She's also defunded um, Neighborhood activists And uh, neighborhood Mediators um, Who kind of Who kind of keep the uh, Violence um, Down And who are Uh Better first responders than most police ever will be, and um they took money away from these people and kind of put them on the sidelines You
3: know yeah, and it was it was um you know from the very beginning um, Chicago citizens seemed to want uh to remember that um, she had. Allowed the city to become a combat zone where no one was safe, and she uh, refused uh, federal assistance to establish certain kinds of pro re-establish certain kinds of programs that Rahm Emanuel had had disavowed. So you you get this you you get this. I mean her her original comment and this is a thing that kind of set me up set me out off so she announces that under no circumstances will I allow and this is on July 21st mm-hmm. Donald Trump's troops to come to Chicago and terrorize our residents and now today she is allowing it without announcing any terms or any terms and conditions under which she came away from a conversation last night with Donald Trump um I mean well, she they, you know people're going to be grabbing their pitchforks and torches oh, well they
6: they did um she she had a, a press conference or something, and she did mention that they would be here only an in, an in investigative um tool, investigative arm. Um, they're not going to be on the quote unquote front lines um, fighting crime, and that they'll work within the established. After after no, watching
3: no, Portland, you no. believe that absolutely, oh, okay. absolutely okay. not. Okay. Not for a second.
6: I'm just saying what yeah. she, I'm just telling you what she said. <laughs> um, okay, but they're supposed to work within the established um um offices and authorities and the people they already have here, you know. Uh-huh. But no, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe it for one second. Um and you're right about Trump and you know, drumming up a race for war and Portland was the um it was testing ground, um, proving ground. And, um, you know, these people could be anybody in um, mm-hmm. here with any totally different mission.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, because what you know, what he I... wants to display in Chicago is to these suburban housewives he's now talking about um, and n- n- not understanding that there are very few suburban housewives left because of the economy that he's destroyed over the last three years. They all went to work, so they're not housewives no more. He's trying to attract a certain audience to his campaign. So he's going Mm -hmm. to Chicago to demonstrate how fearful they should be, all these black people shooting up people and going to funerals and shooting up people. Hell, they had a funeral five years ago and and, and six years ago in Boston where they shot up the whole uh, whole, uh, funeral and killed people in the funeral. So, I I mean, Mm -hmm. this is nothing more than performative authoritarianism. He's performing this for his quote unquote uh, suburban housewives to be scared enough to vote for his sick ass. Excuse me. You know I try. I really have been trying in this era of our common ground not to cuss. Okay, stop <laughs> that. I didn't say that.
2: <laughs> but,
3: but but you're absolutely right. Um, and and one of the things that I want to do on Saturday night, and I hope you join us, is to be able to show that black people probably have the highest level of mental wellness in this country because we have always understood. We have not had any psychopathic fantasies about what this country is all about, and that is the reason that we... Have not been so traumatized that we can't see all this nonsense going on.
2: hmm
6: Yeah, because it's it's you know to me it's obvious that um you know he's doing this law and order thing and you know he's coming to put these you know negroes in check. Uh, what was the bring them to heel and yeah. do what you know do what the black lesbian uh, mayor. Liberal mayor um, couldn't do,
3: yeah, and you yeah.
6: know, stop the violence.
3: And and do, do you and, um, notice that the GOP strategy is to go after the black mayors? Oh, absolutely. anybody anybody yeah. paying that attention? The black mayor of Selma, the black mayor of Jackson, the black mayor. It's it's the black elected officials to show. And, that he is absolutely right Barack Obama should never have been a black president should never have been. He's making yep. that point. Black elected officials are 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 ruining that, our country. Yes.
2: hmm And, and that's what, why what he the, went after
3: the mayor of D C, that's why he went after the mayor of Atlanta, uh and 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 I think it's Asheville Asheville or Durham, but uh, that's what he's doing. He's setting up the narrative of his white nationalist ideology to demonize black people, to demonize and destroy their black leadership that we second-guess. I mean, even though I'm one of those proponents that just because somebody has a black face don't mean they they deserve my vote. Okay? I'm I'm one of those people. But if you have a track record and you can and you have a playbook and a plan that shows me that you have my interest and understand why you are doing what you are doing and why it is in my interest, I'll listen to you. But I'm not one of those. I'm I'm not on the quest for to have black people in office simply because they're black. Because uh, I'm here to tell you at my age, black people will break your heart if you let them. Yeah, I agree. If you let them in, they will break your heart. You know, I mean, all of these people, I can't wait until after C.T. Vivian and John Robert Lewis... Are buried because there's some truths that have to be not exposed but have to be analyzed about how people can can run off the run off the rails but anyway that's a that's a show of another kind and that'll be uh after we we're doing a whole nothing but the issue of reparations from for the whole month of september and for those of you who have been listening you can see the continuum we started off about racial disparities economic social medical Uh, Then we started talking about the true nature of the spirit of this country and the true nature of the spirit of black people and the role that history plays. And now in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at going back to the spirit and how it played a role. And then with all truth be told, by the time we get to September, it's time to concentrate on the whole issue of reparations because the debt is owed.
6: Yeah, I agree. I look forward to that. The uh, debt that is
3: owed. I mean, you know, there are a whole bunch of people running around. We're gonna we're gonna be talking with um, Dr. Sandy Darity. We're gonna be talking with the co-author of his latest book. We're gonna be talking. With uh, going back and talking with the NARC people at the um, Institute of 21st Century, Black Institutes, 21st Century, Ron Daniels, and, and those people we're going to be talking with in COBRA. We're going to be talking with a representative um, in the Congress that, not a Congress person, I don't want to talk to a Congress person, but I want to talk to, we're, we're, we're trying to get the chief staffer who's working on the hr 40 bill because it's the staffers who write these things congress people they just do a whole bunch of talking but when it gets down to it somebody's got to write and record and synthesize and process so that's what we're going to be doing in september um and um next month in august we're going to be looking at some alternative political infrastructure. We're going to be talking with Willie Glant out of South Carolina, who's a socialist um, uh, candidate for, for Congress out of South Carolina. We're going to be talking to a number of people. But I, I hope that everyone one will join us. Our numbers are very low, House, and I'm worried about it and worried about sometimes if I'm talking to myself but I know I'm not talking to myself, but um, we've got to get our numbers, and what we're asking is the Our Common Ground family to make sure that you share uh, that we are here, that we are back. Uh, one of the things that's the best marketing tool is to go into our archives and look at the body of work that we have done over the last 10 years here at Blog Talk Radio. I, I,
6: Absolutely. House. I have your I have your Sandy Darity interview from a few years ago. Uh, downloaded on my phone. I'm still trying to listen to it. Hopefully, I will in the next uh, week or so. Um, well, that's I'll great. Have I just shared
3: the I sh- I just shared the um, the 2011 interview that we did. And I have to go back and get the 2009 interview that we did with him when we were talking about baby bonds and about Mm -hmm. how you calculate uh, reparations. But I'm going to be doing some of that too, and I hope that all of you will. Hey, house, I got to go because we got to listen and learn and liberate. Um, Good to talk to you, but you know you did it again.
6: (laughs) You know you keep doing it. I was early. I was early today. Was early
3: You're earlier than you usually are because you knew I had something right. to do in the second hour, and we're not gonna have enough time to do it all. But we're gonna we're gonna set up so that people can uh, listen on demand uh, for for them. Thanks for your call. Good Absolutely. to talk with you. Talk Y'all to you keep soon, it cool yeah. in Chicago. No doubt. Okay. Um. I want to thank all of you for being with us tonight. You know, Wednesday night is really, this is really cool because you you get a chance to just, you're not, I'm not trying to, you know, you know, because I'm one of those people, I will squeeze a guest till I get all the good juices. (laughs) So um, Wednesday night is a a really good night for us to be able uh, to just chat it up some, just chat it up some. Let me check my notes before I get out of here. Uh, Don't forget that you should stay safe, that we should maintain our love for each other. That is the way that, and, 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 and the thing is that we all know that we have a shared bond, and that shared bond is contained in history. So make sure your children are reading Black history. Make sure your children are understanding. I had a long conversation with my eight-year-old grandson the other day, um, and and it was long for me because he kept kept playing with the basketball and walking around and whatever he was doing. But just keeping up to talk about all of the. People um, that he has an obligation to live up to, to hold on to. So we're going to go into the first episode of "Eye on the Prize," and um, and then. Um, we're going to close out, but this, the entire episode will be available to you uh, right here at blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. All six segments will be available to you on demand. Thank you for being with you, with us. Tell a friend, tell a comrade. That this is where friends come to find comrades, our common ground. I know the one thing we did right hey! was the day we started to fight. I Keep your eyes. eyes.
0: of this century, America was segregated. It was our social system, our way of keeping blacks and whites apart. By custom and by law, most blacks were servants, laborers, tenant farmers, went to separate poorer schools, lived in separate poorer housing. Segregation was the context for black lives throughout the country but especially in the South. A complete environment, socially and psychologically.
8: Listen, for a long time, I had the idea that a man with white skin was superior because it appeared to me that he had everything. And I figured if God uh, would justify the white man having everything, that God uh, put him in a position to be the best.
4: If you're born into a system that's wrong, whether it's a slave system or whether it's a segregated system, you take it for granted. And uh, I was born into a system that was segregated and uh, denied blacks the right to vote, also denied women the right to vote. And uh, I took it for granted. Nobody told me any different. Nobody said it was uh, strange, unusual, or wasn't like the states.
0: Segregation had its rules, and Southern blacks knew that if they didn't obey them, if they didn't step aside to let a white man pass, or if a black man looked too closely at a white woman, the system could be enforced by violence. Groups like the Ku Klux Klan used terrorism to uphold white supremacy and were an ever-present symbol of intimidation. But there were always blacks who fought against segregation. Many ministers preached equality, and black unions and organizations like the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People worked for it for decades through speeches, demonstrations, and court cases.
9: To America and freedom.
0: World War II had an enormous impact on black hopes for change. Black Americans fought and died in a segregated U.S. Army. But they saw a larger, unsegregated world. They saw their own power as they fought and as some were trained as officers and specialists. And they came back with a new sense of themselves.
9: I spent three years overseas in New Guinea and I became an officer during that period, I had been eager to exercise authority. So when we got out, uh, it was just one more step to say, well, look, we aren't going to take this anymore.
0: (laughs) The South they came back to was determined to resist change. And most of the nation was not ready to hear black demands for justice. Then in the early 1950s, after years of carefully planned litigation, the NAACP brought these demands to the Supreme Court. The test cases were set in schools. On May 17, 1954, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously in Brown versus Board of Education that segregated schools were unconstitutional it called into question the whole system of segregation.
8: It was a, quite a shock to the Southerners to be told that the way they had been running their affairs for many, many years was no longer acceptable to the nation as a whole. And a great many of, of the older crowd of white sou- Southerners felt that they had They came of an ancestry that were founders of the republic and they knew the constitution and customs and laws of the country as well as anybody else.
0: The South resisted desegregation with legal and illegal delays. It would take years before the Supreme Court's decision would be implemented in any meaningful way. But it had one immediate effect.
8: I think that the... uh, the greatest impact of the Brown decision was on the black community itself. Uh, it was a statement to the black community that they had a friend, so to speak, the Supreme Court. And so it emboldened the communities of blacks around the country to move forward uh, to secure their own rights.
0: The change began slowly, especially in rural areas. Blacks knew they could still lose their livelihood or their lives if they pushed whites too fast. But step by step, the change began, first with small acts of personal courage. In September
2: 1955,
0: an old man named Mose Wright took that remarkable first step. His story starts at the Tallahatchie River in Money, Mississippi. Here, the body of Mose Wright's nephew, Emmett Till, was found, way down in the waters. Two local men were arrested and charged with the murder. They were white. Emmett Till was black. Had come down from Chicago to visit his relatives.
10: This is Moe Wright. I am the uncle of Emmett Lewis Till. Sunday morning about 2.30, someone called at the door. And I said, who is it? And he said, this is Mr. Bryant. I want to talk with you and the boy. And when I opened the door, there was a man standing with a pistol in, in one hand and a flashlight in the other hand. And he asked me, Did I have two boys there from Chicago? I told him I have. And he said, I want it, I want the boy that done all that talk. And they marched him to the car, and they asked someone there, was well, this is the right boy? And the answer was, yes. And they drove toward money. And I found out about
4: at 9.30 Sunday morning. I was in bed. I got up, called my mother, when I got the news, because I had, every decision I had ever made or every crack that I had ever been in, it took her to get me out of it. And I took that one to Mama, too, because I didn't know what to do. Mother told me to come right over, and she would start making calls. And I got over there as quickly as I could make it. And that wasn't
2: very long.
0: By this time, everyone in Money knew what had happened. Emmett Till had broken one of segregation's rules. He talked fresh to a white woman in a store. He was only 14, he was a northerner, and he didn't understand.
7: He went into the store, buy some candy. Before in, he had showed the boys around his age, he had some picture of some white kids that he had graduated from. That was, you know, female and male. So he told the boys down there, you know, hey, you got around the store? This must have been around about maybe 10 to 12 you know, youngsters around there that the girls was his girlfriend. You know, so one of the, the local boys said, hey, there's a girl in that store there so I bet you want to go in there and talk to her, you know. So he went in there to, you know, get some candy. So when he was leaving out the store, after buying the candy, he told us "Say bye, baby. And the next thing I knew, one of the boys came up to me and say, uh, "Say, man, you got a crazy cousin. He just went in there and said bye to that white woman. And that's when... Um, this man I was playing checker with, this older man, I guess he must have been around about 60 or 70, he jumped straight up and said, boy, say y'all about to get out of here. Say, that lady come out of that store and blow y'all brains off.
10: Wednesday, the, the sheriff came and told me they had found a body at Phillips and wanted me to go and identify the body, which I did. And we found the body. He didn't have on any clothes at all. The body was so badly damaged that we couldn't hardly just tell who he was. But he happened to have on a ring with his initials, and that cleared it up.
0: The body was shipped home, back north to Chicago, where Mamie Till Bradley insisted on an open casket funeral. So all the world can see, she said, what they did to my boy. shot through the head. A generation of black people would remember the horror of that photo.
2: No, for tomorrow.
4: I believe that the whole United States is mourning with me. And if the death of my son can mean something to the other unfortunate people all over the world, then... For him to have died a hero would mean more to me than for him just to have died.
0: Roy Bryant, husband of the woman in the store, and J.W. Milam, her brother-in-law, were arrested for the murder of Emmett Till. The trial was held in nearby Sumner, Mississippi. Black organizations like the NAACP and the black press were especially interested, and they worked hard to keep the case in the news, to make an example of Southern racism for the world.
1: It was because it was a boy that they went there. They had to prove that they were superior. They had to prove it by taking away a 14-year-old boy. You know, it's in the virus, it's in the blood of the Mississippian. He can't help it.
8: I'd like for the NAACP or any colored organization, any word, to know that we are here giving all parties a free trial and intend to give a fair and impartial trial and we don't need the help of the NAACP, and we don't intend for them to help us. We never have any trouble until some of our southern niggas go up north
7: and the NAACP
8: talks to them and they come back home.
9: I had covered the courts in many areas of this country, but the Till case, was unbelievable. I mean, I just didn't get the sense of being in a courtroom. It was first place segregated. The black press sat at a bridge table far off from the uh, court, and the boy's mother came down. They sat her there at the bridge table with us. Plus, the United States Congressman, at that time, Diggs, He came down, and I was the one that got him in because the sheriff wouldn't let him in. He said to the deputy that he called over, he said, this nigga here said there's a nigga outside who says that he's a congressman and he has corresponded with the judge, and the judge had told him to come on down, and uh, he would let him in, he said, "But uh the uh sheriff won't let him in, so he's sending his card up there, so this guy said, A nigger congressman, and he said, that's what this nigger said. <laughs> so I said, I said, My God, I have never seen anything like this in my life
0: there was uh of course, a lot of buzzing uh, when I entered the uh the place and was placed in that uh, area, and uh, I think the judge said something about, uh, yeah, have that boy come on up
1: here and sit down over here with these news reporters, you know.
10: <laughs> what uh, do you intend to do here today?
4: Uh, to answer any questions that might, that the uh, attorneys might ask me to answer. To How the
8: best- do you think it uh, could possibly be a help to them?
4: I don't know, I mean, just by answering whatever questions that they ask me.
8: Uh, do you have any evidence bearing on this case?
4: <laughs> I do know that this is my son.
0: The defense argued that the body found tied to the cotton gin fan in the river was so disfigured that it could not be identified as Emmett Till. The trial took five long, hot days. Because of threats to his life, the prosecution's star witness, Moe's Wright, was kept hidden out of state.
2: Will you go back to Mississippi to testify in the kidnap trial? Sure, sure. I'll
10: go back because I promised the sheriff I'll be back. And so if I live, I'm going back to testify. And uh, after after the trial, well, I'm through it, Mississippi, forever and ever. Didn't have my part in Mississippi. I'm through it. So I don't
7: want nothing to happen. At the time, uh, I really didn't realize. Uh, how brave my grandfather Mose Wright was, you know, but uh, after I got older, I realized that he was a brave man, he was a mighty brave man, to travel back down there, you know, among all those hostile peoples and testify and get up in court and point his finger at a white man and accuse him of murder. He was called upon to testify as to uh Could he see
9: anybody in the courtroom, identify anybody in that courtroom that had come to his house that night and got the uh, uh, Emmett Till out? He stood up and there was a tension in the courtroom. And he says in his broken language, Dar he.
0: Dar he, there he is. Other black witnesses came forward too. Their courage made no difference in Sumner, Mississippi. As the trial ended, a defense lawyer told the jury he was, quote, sure every last Anglo-Saxon one of you has the courage to free these men. It took the jury an hour to find the men not guilty.
7: I feel now that it's all over, Roy. How about you? I'm just glad it's over. J.W. <clears throat> I am too. Well, Mrs. Bryant. Uh, I feel fine. How about you, Mrs. Milan? Fine. Did you expect this verdict? Well, I was hoping,
2: boy. Well,
4: the whole trial was just a farce, and but the verdict was was the one that I had expected to be given.
0: Months later, Roy Bryant and J.W. Milam told their story of the night of August 28th for $4,000 to reporter William Bradford Huey.
1: Milam was startled at
8: the
9: belligerent attitude or the fact that young Till didn't appear to be afraid of him. Now, he'd gone and gotten him out of bed and had him in the back of the truck and young Till never realized the danger he was in. I'm quite sure that he never thought these two men would kill him. And, uh, or maybe he's just in such a strange environment, he doesn't really just doesn't know what he's up against. And it seems to a rational mind today, it seems impossible that they could have killed him. But J.W. Milam looked up at me and said... Well, when he told me about this white girl he had, he says, my friend, that's what this war is about down here now. I says, that's what we got to fight to protect. And he says, I just looked at him and I said, boy, you ain't gonna never see the sun come up again.
0: For much of Southern history, lynching had been an ordinary story. Race killings were down by the 1950s, but over the years, there had been more than 500 documented lynchings in Mississippi alone.
8: And the fact that uh, Emmett Till, a young black man, could be found floating down the river in Mississippi, as indeed many had been done over the years, uh, just set in concrete the determination of people to move forward. And I think uh, we said back there that uh, really only God, only the books in heaven can know how many Negroes have come up missing and dead and killed uh, under the system in which we lived.
0: In Mississippi, a few black people stood up to the system, but it was not enough. Their challenge was easily beaten back. Three months later in Alabama, when many stood together, the challenge would be strong. It started with a woman named Rosa Parks in Montgomery. Montgomery in
11: 1955 was a typical southern city. We are called the cradle of the Confederacy. And there is a tradition in Montgomery of having the, uh, carrying out the old Confederate South type of things, the the stars and bars, flags. uh, It was a totally segregated community. Uh, Department stores had white water fountains and colored water fountains. We had separate taxis. Uh, You had black taxis and you had white
0: taxis. And Montgomery, like all of the South, had segregated buses. In interstate buses, like this one, and in city buses, the whites sat in the front, the blacks in back. If more whites got on, the blacks had to give them the middle and back seats, too. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white passenger.
12: The front seats were occupied, and there was one man, a white man standing. And at this point, the driver asked us to stand up and let him have those seats. And when uh, neither none of us moved at his first uh, words, he said, y'all make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats. And when the policemen approached me, one of them spoke and asked me if the driver had asked me to stand, I said, yes. He said, why don't you stand up? I said, I don't think I should have to stand up. And I asked him, I said, why do you push us around? He said, I do not know, but the law is a law and you are under arrest.
13: Mrs. Parks was formerly my secretary in the NACP in the local branch for about 12 years. She also worked with me when I was state president at the NAACP. And she also assisted me uh, in the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. And uh, if there ever, ever was a woman who was dedicated to the cause, those was a part for that woman.
0: This was not the first time a black person had defied the bus segregation in Montgomery. It was not Mrs. Parks' first time. It was her first arrest. E.D. Nixon went to the police station to bail her out. I said, Ms.
13: Parks, I said, with your permission, we can break down segregation on the bus with your case. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that uh, we can do it. And I said, if I wasn't convinced, I wouldn't bother about it. She asked her mother what she thought about it. She said, I'll go along with Ms. Nixon. I asked her, he said, I'll support it. Said, that's
0: fine. E.D. Nixon and other black leaders called for a one-day bus boycott. In some cities, it would have been impossible to organize 40,000 people in two days. But black Montgomery had a core of activists in the Women's Political Council, and they distributed these boycott notices all over the city.
9: I called every person who was in every school and every place where we had planned to be at that, have somebody at that school or wherever it was at a certain time, that I would be there with material for them to disseminate. I didn't go to bed that night. I cut those stencils. I ran out 35,000 copies. But the bus passed right down in front of my house, you know, and I got up to see it, and several buses passed. I was late for work because I was trying
8: to see how many buses was empty and they were totally empty.
0: The one-day boycott was a success. That night, a mobilized black community turned out for a meeting at the Holt Street Baptist Church and voted unanimously to continue the boycott.
11: The preachers were preaching as I came in. Uh, I was about two minutes late coming in and they were preaching and that audience was so on fire uh, that they, 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 the preacher would get up and say, do you want your freedom? And they'd say, yeah, well, I want my freedom. Uh, are you for what we're doing? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
9: Overwhelmingly, I don't know if there was one vote that said, no, don't continue. The people wanted to continue that boycott. They had been touched by the persecution the humiliation that many of them had endured on buses. And they voted for it unanimously, and that meant thousands of people.
13: You see, when I first started fighting, I was fighting to keep so that the children who came behind me wouldn't suffer the same thing I suffered. Then the night of the bus boycott on December 5th, I told the people that I had been fighting like that for all these years. I said, the night I changed my mind. I said, hell, I want to enjoy some of this stuff myself. And then you ought to hear people holler.
0: The keynote speaker at Holt Street Church was a new preacher in town, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. He was only 26 and was almost unknown outside his own congregation. King wasn't sure he should accept when his fellow ministers and other leaders asked him to head the new Montgomery Improvement Association and the boycott. But they wanted him in part because he was new in Montgomery.
13: The Reverend King was a young man, a very intelligent young man, he had not been here long enough for the city fathers to put their hand on him.
12: Martin said, "Well, um, you know, I'm not sure I'm the best person uh, for this position since I'm new in the community. And uh, but if uh, if no one else is going to serve, uh, you know, someone has to do it, and uh, I'd be glad to I'd be glad to try to do it." And of course, uh, I guess everybody then assured him they wanted him. So he came on very excited about the fact that he had to give the keynote speech that night at mass meeting. He only had 20 minutes to prepare his speech.
2: We, the disinherited of this land,
1: we who have been oppressed so long are tired of going through the long nights of captivity. Now we are reaching out for the daybreak of freedom and justice and equality. Yeah. The only weapon that we have in our hands this evening is the weapon of protest. Yeah.
2: That's all. And suddenly,
1: suddenly this is the glory of America with all of its faults. And we are not wrong. We are not wrong in what we are doing. If we are wrong,
2: the Supreme Court of this nation is wrong. If we are wrong,
1: the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we are wrong, God Almighty is
2: wrong.
13: We had never
7: seen a crowd like that before. It took 15 minutes before the people would sit down and become quiet and let us begin the meeting. And I can tell you the name of the first song that we sang, and it was, What a Fellowship, What a Joy Divine Leaning on the Everlasting Arms.
0: Before the boycott, two-thirds of the bus riders were black. After December 5th, there were almost no blacks at the segregated bus stops or on the buses. They walked, and they created a complex system that used private cars to carry thousands of people each day.
2: We
1: asked for persons who had cars and would voluntarily put them in the transportation pool to let us know and what time they could be used. And in that way, we could know when we would have cars and where they had to go to pick up people. People would call in and say, I'm out here on Cloverdale Road and and such-and-such a block, and I'll be ready at such-and-such a time, but this was being done all through the day, and we would know what time they were supposed to be picked up and where they were.
9: It was really surprising because we thought, well, maybe some of the people would continue to ride the bus, but after all, they had been mistreated and been mistreated in so many different ways until, I guess, they were tired and they just decided that they just wouldn't ride.
0: The black community was inspired by its own success. They held meetings with the mayor and the bus company and found they could stand up to the city commissioners.
12: At first, we didn't even ask for desegregation. We only asked for a, a more humane system of segregation in, on the buses. And when the opposition refused to grant that, then we realized that they wouldn't grant anything uh, anyway, so we might as well ask for, you know, complete desegregation. And uh, that's what we went for, and we realized we had to go for broke, so to
0: speak. By this time, the boycott had lasted longer than anyone expected. A wave of violence started, shots fired at buses, Bombs thrown at Martin King's home and E.D. Nixon's home.
7: You've had some rather personal and trying experiences yourself. Are you afraid?
1: No, I'm not. Uh, My attitude is that uh, this is a great cause, it is a great issue that we are confronted with, and that uh, the consequences for my personal life are not particularly important. It is the triumph of the cause that I'm concerned about. And I have always felt that, uh, ultimately, along the way of life, an individual must stand up and be counted and uh, be willing to face the consequences, whatever they are. And if he is filled with fear, uh, he cannot do it.
8: We thought that uh, you could just shame America. Uh, So now, America, look at your promises, and look at how you're treating your poor. Negro citizens, uh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. But, you know, segregate, you can't shame segregation. You can't... Uh, rattlesnakes don't commit suicide. Bowl teams don't strike themselves out. you got to put them out.
0: The nightly... So I'm asking you for the truth. I know the truth. I know
2: enough. So what I'm asking you is, what is your in-game?
3: When you don't know, when you should have done, but you didn't, when you should have, but you don't, when you can't
9: find, won't ask, can't say what you want.
2: What is your name?
9: When you recognize that you have accepted, tolerated, and accommodated stuff from them or
3: him or her,
9: that has diminished yourself.
3: Just who are you. what of? the souls of black folks. Thank you so much for being with us here at Our Common Ground. Each Saturday, 10 p.m., I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. A special thanks to our chatters in our chat room. Join us on Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, and our website at OurCommonGround.com. Twitter, follow at Janice See you next week. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.